Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. We're here every Saturday at 12 noon, even in Zoom times and covid times. We have been here all the way through, and uh, today we are going to be talking about the neoliberal policies and TAPE. What has happened to TAPE? And what is going to happen to TAPE if we don't fight for it in the same way as we have to fight for the um, primary and secondary education of the next generation? And uh, we'll be telling you a fair amount about what's happening with TAPE. And this information is coming from the Australian Education Union, which is up and fighting for it. As well as that, we'll be having to look at... Um, not just TAFE, but also, as we usually do, our primary and secondary schools. And uh, there's been some interesting information that has been sent us by other members. Uh, for example, uh, I could have paid a mortgage, a private school education or parents when she realised what had happened when she was paying fees for private schools. How much does private education cost? when it comes to uh, your bank balance. And as well as that, we also would like to uh, refer you to a Canberra mother who sent her children to a so-called Christian school and her children, when, when she kicked up a fuss about something, her children were just um, summarily expelled. So she took it a bit further, but there's a question. Can she really do anything? Can anybody really do anything about this? So let's get down to business with press release 876, which will be on our website at www.adogs.info. And here it is. Neoliberal policies of the Productivity Commission punish tertiary and take victims of COVID. At the point in Australia's social and economic history, when clever, young, energetic tradespeople and computer experts are especially needed, Australian governments are still falling back on outdated, failed neoliberal policies. They seem to have remembered or forgotten or learned nothing. User pays, markets fix everything, and even echoes of the survival of the fittest and society is dead are surfacing, or doesn't exist, are surfacing in government TAFE policies. The most recent indication of attacks upon the public TAFE sector comes from the Productivity Commission, which has suggested that vocational students should be charged minimum upfront fees to avoid perceptions of free money and colleges should be subject to market testing. Really penny-pinching, isn't it? They also talk about public providers being given greater operational autonomy. Now, this greater operational autonomy, which is the basis for private enterprise, is code for private is better, decentralised, run-down, and sell off. We have already seen this with the primary and secondary sector, particularly in the 1990s, although the public sector has fought back and we still have two-thirds of our children in public education. Now the neoliberals are attacking even further the TAFE sector and it has to be defended. The AEU Victorian branch has charted the abject failure of a decade or more of BET marketisation and privatisation by governments at all levels and the catastrophic damage it has wrought on the sector. To add insult to the injury being perpetrated on the next generation, however, the Productivity Commission has suggested that the Australian government should try to recover unpaid student loans from people who have died. 
this is this is terrible. It comes a bit close, actually, to, to my own family. We are told that the public think tank made the controversial calls in its review of the Skills and Workforce Agreement, which found Australia's deal between the state and federal governments has failed to meet the targets. In other words, neoliberal policies and privatisation has failed dismally and the recommendation of the Productivity Commission is more of the same. It's outrageous. We'll have a bit of a break and Dale will come back to read from an AEU background paper. So this is in the middle of the pandemic where this billionaire is suing the Pentagon for a military contract for what most people think is the place that you order books from. It's a very interesting case study in pulling out the different threads of militarism and how it can really be embedded in so many aspects of our lives that we don't even realize that when we order something from Amazon that we're putting workers' lives at risk and that we're supporting what is becoming becoming an increasingly important actor in the military-industrial complex. Exposing that to people, I think, is very important. People will care if they understand that this is how things are all interconnected and linked. It's surfacing that information, it's making that accessible, and making it relevant for people's lives. And I think that is another opportunity that COVID-19 really presents to us, is that we are all connected and these structures are all connected. We can see that much more clearly now than we could before. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. You're listening to the Dogs Program and Dave is going to give us some more information about what's happening with TAFE. Uh, first of all, from an AEU Victorian branch press release and then later from an AEU background paper. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, I've got the uh, Victorian branch of the AEU's paper here. Productivity Commission prioritises profit above TAFE's future. The Productivity Commission review into skills and workforce development is failing to ensure that public t- failing to ensure the public TAFE system's future as the preeminent provider of high-quality vocational education and training, or VET, across Australia. The Productivity Commission National Agreement for Skills and Workforce Development Review Interim Report clearly favours private providers, increasing contestability, student loans and vouchers. AU Federal's submission to the review process highlights the abject failure of a decade of VET marketisation, contestability and privatisation by governments at all levels and the catastrophic damage it has wrought on this sector. The yes, Dale I, think, Dale, I think it should be said there, it's all governments. It's Liberal, Labor, Lib Labs at the federal and the state level that have embraced this. And a proud TAFE sector, which was doing such a wonderful job from the tech schools in Victoria all the way through their TAFE uh, in the 1980s, has been um, gutted and large sections of it privatised. Back to you, Joe. Thanks, Jean. Yes. Uh, The report goes on to say, VET funding was cut by more than 15% in the decade from 2007 to 2016, and government expenditure declined by 31.5% over that time. As a result of this continual assault, TAFE enrolments have declined steadily in recent years from nearly 800,000 in 2015 to 680,000 in 2017. 
there are now over 4,600 active registered training providers, but only 96 of these providers have more than 100 full-time students. In 2018, states, territories and the Commonwealth spent a combined total of $6.1 billion on vocational education, a decrease of $135 million when compared to 2017. In 2018, the Commonwealth contribution to all vocational education fell by $326 million, or 10.6%, while Commonwealth contributions to public VET delivery fell by more than double that total, by 23.2% in that year. The number of government-funded vocational education students has fallen by almost 17% since 2012 across all jurisdictions, but in TAFE, student numbers have fallen by 25%. Meanwhile, students enrolled in subjects not delivered as part of a nationally recognised program or private providers increased by 4.9% to 2.5 million people in 2018 compared with 2017. Overall, VET student numbers have also decreased by 1.5% to 4.1 million people in 2018 compared with 2017. AEU Federal President Karenna Haythorpe said the interim report's focus on giving profit-seeking private training providers more access to public VET funding was appalling and would make it more difficult for Australian workers and apprentices to access high-quality public vocational education at a time when they are most urgently needed to help rebuild the economy. The COVID-19 crisis has highlighted the urgent need for qualified workers across all industries to be able to adapt quickly to new opportunities when they arise, Ms Haythorpe says. TAFE is the only institution with the infrastructure, the workforce and the trusted reputation to be able to provide high-quality VET qualifications across the country today. TAFE is Australia's most trusted brand when it comes to the public provision of vocational education and training. The community knows and understands and values TAFE for what it is and what it offers. The Morrison government has shown time and time again that it does not, as Haythorpe said. The AEU is calling on governments to prioritise investment in TAFE as the anchor institution of vocational education ensuring that it is the centrepiece of rebuilding Australia's economy. Ms Haythorpe says the Morrison government should put TAFE at the forefront of the economic recovery process through immediate investment in infrastructure, equipment, staffing and programs. History has shown that private providers do not provide the skilled and highly qualified workforce to meet the needs of a changing economy says Ms Haythorpe. TAFE offers high-quality vocational education at all levels with nationally accredited programs, a highly qualified and experienced workforce, campuses across Australia, and it has the trust and respect of employers and the community. A strong, fully funded TAFE sector must be at the centre of the Commonwealth's response post-COVID-19 so that Australia emerges in the best possible social and economic condition. We'll have a quick break and then we'll come back with some more from the AU's background paper into their submission. You can see that this country is covered in the blood of Aboriginal people and the length and breadth of it. Australia is a part of an undeclared war and a secret invasion and again 250 years ago, this year. Now, we have a country that's built on lies, deceit, fraud, propaganda and race hatred indoctrination. Now, it's been 250 years of us being oppressed in our own land, brutally. We might be oppressed, but we understand what freedom is and we fight for it every day and we've resisted this occupation since day one. And I predict colonialism, capitalism, imperialism, going to get knocked out cold 
by about mid this year. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Local issues. So I'm here at the school, kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the, the spirit of this gathering here today at IMARC. Your voices. So give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening. There's about 200, 200 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tundaminuaya Mulboina Monument. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. Feed Radical Radio, your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. Before the break there, um, you're still listening to the dogs program, by the way, but before the break on this uh, program, which we're doing a great deal on the TAFE sector and what is happening to it and uh, what is going to happen to it or should happen to it, um, we heard from Dale about the AU's uh, view of the Productivity Commission and what it's done. But they actually made a submission to the Productivity Commission and they've provided for the general public a background paper which contains large amounts of this submission. So I'm going to ask Oliver to tell us what is in this background paper. Over to you, Oliver. Thank you, Jean. In its submission to the Productivity Commission's review of the NASWD, the AEU has challenged the Commission's core assumptions about the inherent superiority of markets and contestability. The AEU says that throughout the interim report, the Commission demonstrates a clear preference for private providers operating in an unencumbered market, revealing the Commission's predetermined view of how vocational education should operate in Australia. The AEU submission highlights the damage inflicted on the sector over the last decade as a result of competition and marketisation which has flooded the market with inferior private providers, resulting in the chronic underfunding of TAFE and publicly delivered vocational education, and in the TAFE sector being the lowest funded of all education sectors in Australia. The submission roundly condemns the review's recommended options of shifting subsidies to individual students as vouchers, as vouchers cannot deliver value for money in the long term and do not represent a prudent, efficient, and sensible way to invest in vocational education. Incredibly, the Commission's interim report has proposed an increase in income-contingent loans, despite the debt fee help fiasco, handing billions of dollars to dodgy private RTOs, and causing unprecedented damage to Australia's vocational education system, costing more than $7 billion in total. More than is spent on Australia's entire VET system annually. The AEU also strongly asserts that the review's proposal of introducing a nationally consistent pricing mechanism fails as it takes no account of the superior courses, wraparound services and pastoral care that TAFE provides. TAFE delivers a much higher level of provision at a significantly larger cost than the offerings of most private providers and any attempt to introduce consistent pricing without accounting for these, can only result in VET delivery declining to the lowest common denominator offered by profit-seeking for-profit private providers. In response to the interim report's inherent bias towards rampant marketization, the AEU has strongly argued that the Commission recommends a coordinated effort to put TAFE at the forefront of recovery and potential future economic stimulus efforts through immediate increased federal funding support and investment in infrastructure, equipment, staffing and programs, including 
restoration of more than $3 billion of funding cut from TAFE and training since 2013, implementation of targeted support for the public vet provider, guaranteeing a minimum of 70% of all government vet funding to TAFE, and a significant capital investment in TAFE infrastructure, both in terms of improvements to existing campuses and the redeployment of closed campuses in regions without sufficient provision. A significant reinvestment in the TAFE teaching workforce to replace the many tens of thousands who have been driven out of the sector over the last 10 years and to alleviate the current workloads. Freedom of information documents obtained by the ABC in 2019 suggested the government could save $46 million over a decade by recovering student debt from deceased estates. Say that again. Freedom of information documents obtained by the ABC in 2019 suggested the government could save $46 million over a decade by recovering student debt from deceased estates. So, I, I can't quite believe that, that they would go that low. I really can't believe that the Productivity Commission and the government are prepared to treat our young people in this way. Um, with their privatisation neoliberal policies. They certainly don't care about people only profits. It's hard to sum it. Yeah. The idea had the backing of now Assistant Minister to the Prime Minister, Ben Morton, Labour MP Julian Hill, and the Grattan Institute, but was never enacted. Australian students owe the Education Department approximately $58 billion in unpaid loans. The Productivity Commission also wants to see more competition between the TAFE training system and private providers because public provision is not necessarily the only or best option. Funding to TAFE should be based on explicit and transparent community service obligations, which should be subject to market testing, it said. (laughs) Well, the private sector has failed. It's failed dismally. And it... uh, Profiteers have, have taken offshore large amounts of our taxpayers' funding because uh, uh, these young people are still being paid and the profiteers are being paid with our taxes. This is our taxes that are being used for profiteering. I find it quite incredible that the Productivity Commission thinks that private is better than public in this situation. It's outrageous. Productivity Commission uh, also says that public providers should also have greater operational autonomy. In May, Scott Morrison suggested the federal government would look to add conditions to its $1.5 billion in skills funding given to the states, and on Tuesday he nominated skills reform as a major priority for 2021. The Productivity Commission said that public funding to the sector should remain largely untied but endorsed calls for much greater accountability and transparency and a new national agreement on skills. The Commission found that mixed progress had been made against existing targets. The aim to halve the proportion of the working age adult population who lack at least a certificate three qualification was not met, despite an improvement with 62% holding one in 2019, up from 53% in 2009. The target of doubling the number of higher-level qualifications was also not met, as completions fell from 43,000 to 38,000 over the same time period. Between 2009 and 2019, the proportion of employees who said they were satisfied that training meets their needs fell from 86% to 79%. You're giving us figures that indicate a filing system, a filing private system, and yet they're indicating that the public system, which has been doing the hard yards, uh, should be further undermined. It, it beggars belief, doesn't it? It does. There was an improvement in the working age population working towards a non-school qualification, although the latest figures relate to 2018 before the coronavirus pandemic. The Commission concluded that the National Agreement for Skills and Workforce Development had failed to hold governments to account for the performance of the training system. That was because targets were arbitrary and too ambitious and not linked to the program inputs and outputs 
rather influenced by outside factors, including higher education policy and economic cycles. The agreement does not provide for review and evaluation, it said, a function that could have been performed by the Council of Australian Government Reform Council, junked by the Abbott government in 2014. The Productivity Commission said governments could achieve a better return on investment by using cost estimates by the National Skills Commission as a common basis for setting and simplifying course subsidies. I think now would be a good time uh, to listen to part of a discussion from the AEU's web series on the issues shaping the education debate. Uh, you'll be hearing AEU Federal President Karenna Haythorpe posing a question from a webinar participant, Danny, to former Senator Doug Cameron uh, and the President of the Australian Council of Trade Unions, Michelle O'Neill, about the importance of TAFE to the community. I've got a question here for Doug and Michelle. Danny tells us that he's worked in a variety of education settings along with working child protection and youth justice where a lot of children and young people have been disconnected from their mainstream education. And these young people have had access to programs that are vocationally based. So his question is around the fact that these programs often struggle to receive funding. And is there some way that long-term funding can actually be secured? And how do we get this message across politically? And I'll add a connection there in terms of the importance of TAFE. Perhaps, Doug, do you want to start with that one? Look, I, I don't think you'll ever convince a coalition government that they should invest any money in TAFE, they'll say we'll invest in vocational education, then their mates get access to that funding. We know the rocks that were going on in the private sector. The private sector knew about it but did nothing because they were growing. They were growing because they were accessing all the the cheap-to-deliver courses, and TAFE was left with the courses that required, you know, machinery, required technology, required infrastructure to deliver those courses. And that made it really difficult for TAFE to compete when the easily delivered stuff that can, you can make a profit off goes to the private sector. TAFE is left with the hardest and toughest to deliver courses. We just have to get to a situation where the public understand that we need a couple of things. We need a good education system. We need a good TAFE system. But we also need a good housing system. And the problem we have in this country, and I, I want to make this point, if we continue to invest the way we do in the housing system in this country, the private housing system, then that takes away from our capacity to invest in productive capacity in the rest of industries. This has got a knock-on effect for the school system, the health system, and everything else, because we don't have the funding. Well, the reality is we do have the funding, because it's been proved now that if you've got the will, you can invest. And you look at the debates we had about no investing in the TAFE system or the public a school system that we invest plenty. When there is a need, the money can be found and put in place. So housing, where school kids can actually have somewhere where they can be secure and safe, and they're not in a situation where they have got terrible conditions to live in, where they can get fed. These are all a base to build a good society, and it all comes together. We just have to argue these points. We just have to make this point within all the political parties, and we need to ensure that the coalition are exposed for not considering society, but considering individual wealth. Thanks, Doug. Thanks. Michelle, what do you think? I, mean, I think that it's interesting because, in fact, TAFE is still incredibly popular, um, and it's very popular in regional communities and communities that have seen it decimated because people remember the really important role and still see where TAFEs continue to do this, the really important role that TAFEs play. So it's actually got a very strong level of public support, I believe. But 
That's despite the fact that we've seen it decimated in terms of funding cuts and the introduction of the private sector into, you know, completely dodgy providers into this space. But I actually think the fact that it's been so badly done helps us with the argument because the contrast is well known that, you know, people have seen these private providers that their kids pay a lot of money to or they pay a lot of money for their kids to and they don't get any proper training, they get ripped off, the place collapses and they try it again and they try it again. And that is contrast with people's experience of TAFE where it's there. And so I think this issue about TAFE's being embedded in communities and responsive to communities and particular in regional communities is really critical to its ongoing viability and funding and our ability to win the argument that Doug was just talking about. And there's a connection here in terms of marginal seats, to be frank. Those parts of Australia that are the parts of Australia that swing governments one way or the other. So I think the our work about building support and demand for public vocational training and the TAFE system and how that will do something about youth unemployment and older people, you know, being able to shift jobs and careers and opportunities as we're coming through the worst recession in 100 years is actually really strong. So I, I'm, I'm, a passion, I'm passionate about it, as you can so see, but I actually think we've got a good chance of building a strong argument about funding for TAFE and its ongoing viability. Into that, of course, back to Danny, which I completely agree, Danny, that the critical point here is for vulnerable younger people that are not in the mainstream or have had real difficulty in the mainstream system, it is the answer. Like it is that sort of flexible approach and being able to deal with the reality of their lives and do it in a way that's not going to cost them in their communities is the answer. Thanks, Michelle. That's a, a good redirect. I really am not understanding why people aren't seeing the fact that prisons are an integral part of a public health response to a pandemic. Like you, I'm really concerned about whether the data is being released very honestly about illnesses within prison. I have suspicions it's not, but really we need very strong leadership in this country that actually cares about people inside, our most vulnerable populations inside. That's what we need and that's not what we're getting right now. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Well, um, that was Karina Haythorpe um, and she was answering some very interesting questions and really painting a picture of what is happening in tape. Uh, and before that, we were talking about the AEU down here in Victoria and what they have been doing. But let's go up to New South Wales. Uh, the Productivity Commission must, uh, I think it must be, um, peopled by neoliberal think, think tank people who've just come in from the Institute of So-Called Public Affairs. But... Um, up in New South Wales, the Auditor-General, here in Victoria too, Auditor-Generals in Australia still appear to have some kind of uh, independence. And there's a very interesting Auditor-General's report which highlights the funding and policy failures of TAFE up in New South Wales. So I'll get uh, Oliver to tell you about this. This week's Auditor-General report into the One TAFE Modernisation Program has concluded that commercial objectives of the program conflicted with legislated social objectives. Would you mind repeating that, please? Commercial objectives of the program conflicted with legislated social objectives. Yes, legislated social objectives deal with the public good, don't they? And commercial objectives deal with making a buck. And there's been too many people in this country of ours who've been given open slather with our money to make a buck in the TAFE sector at the expense of the future of our children. Keep going. The Auditor-General 
has got a very good point there. Thank you, Jim. In response to the report, New South Wales Teachers Federation Deputy Secretary Maxine Sharkey said it's now clear that the entire purpose of the New South Wales government's restructure of TAFE was to save money, ultimately leading to a 250 million cutting of the TAFE budget. This report vindicates what Federation has been saying for the last decade. TAFE does not work in a market model. TAFE New South Wales is set up as a public good and must remain so. The Act requires TAFE New South Wales to provide technical and further education to disadvantaged students and communities, yet this government has attempted to turn it into a business. The Berwicklean government has allowed TAFE to be the minister's plaything to the detriment of students and communities. The report findings also highlight insufficient reporting on spending to support disadvantaged students. Federation has consistently called for more transparency while TAFE has been cutting services to people with disabilities, multicultural programs and outreach. It's time the government end this failed experiment of marketization of TAFE and restore guaranteed funding direct to TAFE New South Wales to once again focus on providing all communities with high quality vocational and further education. Ms. Shaky concluded. Back to you, Jane. Yes, and um, as well as that, there's other things been happening in New South Wales. The TAFE sector is for many people the only possible tertiary education in remote areas. And up there in New South Wales, there was a very important TAFE college at Scone. Yes, it's called Scone. It's uh, it's an outpost. It's a it's quite a big um, country town. I remember it well because my father used to take me there when I was a child. And the New South Wales government um, is putting this facility, which is a state of the art TAFE campus. In Australia's equine capital, it has all of the possibilities for learning to, to ride horses and look after horses. And, and just at the point when, in fact, the young people in the country need such a facility, they are going to sell it. These types of facilities are actually irreplaceable. Remember, our taxpayers' money has built them, has bought them and built them over many generations. And the New South Wales Teachers Federation, like us, I must, ex- I must say, are just incredulous that they would, at this point in time, be trying to liquidate an asset such as that when it's so vital to the training needs of the community in the post-COVID environment. And how do they expect the people of Scone to accept that it's an improvement to sell it. How can they expect this? What they're simply doing is they're providing lip service to the people of Scone to confuse and distract them from real issues that they are gutting, a viable resource within their local community. So the AEU throughout Australia, not just in Victoria, certainly in the Teachers Federation in New South Wales, are fighting this battle. But that's enough for the tape at the moment. We'll come back and we'll have some more interesting material for you. Here I am. 
Listening to the dogs program, you're still listening to the dogs program, I hope, uh, on this lovely Saturday afternoon. And uh, we've been dealing with tape, but now we're going to go back to the primary and secondary sector. Those of you who were listening to us last week will perhaps remember how we were talking about the private schools' business plans uh, being thought about, and we found out the information from uh, an organisation that takes money from parents every week to pay private school fees, not public school fees, private school fees. Well, there's another very interesting article uh, by Jordan Baker this this week in The Age. Uh, I could have paid a mortgage for the private school education costs revealed. So I'll let Dale tell you about this. Very interesting article. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, uh, Jordan's article is titled, I Could Have Paid a Mortgage, Private School Education Costs Revealed. Sending two children to average Sydney private schools for their primary and secondary education costs families almost $1 million, about a third more than in any other city. The Futurity Investment Group's Planning for Education Index showed the cost of public schooling in Sydney also outstripped the rest of the country, but the city's Catholic schools were among the nation's cheapest. One million dollars? Um, gee, that's a very, well in Sydney I suppose it would be a mortgage. I think the average cost of a, of a, of a house in Melbourne is about 800 and something, which is pretty high. But, uh, well, I never, that's a lot of money. Some people must uh, must have those uh, very interesting tax uh, tax havens in the Cayman Islands, I think. And especially when you consider perhaps more than one child in the family is going to these schools for that period of time. So that's two million if you've got two children. To, anyway, to continue to on. Buy them a house. To buy them a house. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. The Association of Independent Schools New South Wales disputed the estimate of $448,035 for 13 years of independent schooling per student in Sydney, saying there were many low fee, many low fee schools and the median cost would be closer to 100000 An analysis has found the average cost of an independent education in Sydney is almost $450,000 per student. The Futurity Investment Group, a company that issues education bonds and loans, 
combined the results of a member survey on the cost of school-related expenses, such as uniforms, excursions and extra tuition, with an analysis of fee data by Monash University. It found Sydney parents invested $100,000 more than the Australian average in 13 years of an independent education for their children, and $50,000 more than a Victorian family, which is $393,534. Phew! It's still pretty, still pretty steep. Most <laughs> people think in those terms. I know. Yes. Exactly. It's exclusive in every sense of the word. The average cost of a public education in Sydney was $90,122, 10% more than the national average, and about 4000 more than in Melbourne. Fees made up just 433 a year, with the rest going to related expenses such as technology, uniforms and extra tuition. Systemic Catholic schooling in Sydney, however, was cheaper than similar schools in most other cities at $128,828. A Catholic education in Melbourne costs $142,000. We found that Brisbane was the most expensive city, said Futurity Group executive Kate Hill. Sydney and Perth were Australia's most affordable cities for Catholic education. It's certainly an outlier from Sydney being on the expensive side. Sydney parents spent less on outside tuition than those in other states, according to the analysis. Independent school parents in Brisbane and Adelaide spent the most, followed by public school parents in Melbourne and Brisbane. One in five New South Wales schools freezes their fees for 2021, but while, in, while Melbourne is the home to Australia's most expensive school, Geelong Grammar, Sydney has dozens of high-end schools that cost more than $30,000 a year for senior students, and many high-cost Catholic schools are also classed as independent. But some of the city's independent schools are low-fee. Islamic schools, for example, cost around 2000 a year. Beth Newcomb, Chief Executive of Australian of Association of Independent Schools New South Wales, said the median fee for independent schools was around 5200 a year. I don't accept the estimated cost of the education index, he said. Even with add-ons for uniforms, excursions and other costs, the average cost across 13 years of schooling would still be less than $100,000. Oh, Lisa, that is a few hundred thousand out, isn't it? It's optimistic, isn't it? I would advise parents to do their own research and be wary of companies framing education costs to suit their commercial objectives. But well, Rose, I suppose the same thing could be said of him. <laughs> exactly. But Rose Cantali, president of New South Wales Parents Council, which represents parents of students at private schools, said the estimate seemed realistic. I would say that's quite reasonable, she said. I guess it's scary for parents to look at those figures and think, I could have paid a mortgage off. I guess it depends on what you want. I think education is important and it is a good investment. Anyone who has money can lose it, but you always have your education. Oh, that's an interesting sales pitch, isn't it? Isn't it? Um, indeed. Thank you so much um, for that. Well, we'll have a bit of a break and then I think we'll just have a very interesting uh, story to tell you about a Canberra mother and Brindabella Christian College. Teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions, and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world, and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Well, 
we're listening to the dogs program, I hope, still. We're coming towards the end of our hour. But there's one more very interesting tip that uh, Oliver has for you about a mother who was outspoken and what happened to her boys at the Brindabella Christian College. Over to you, Oliver. Thank you, Jean. The mother of two boys who were removed from an independent Canberra school's enrolment list after she made a complaint, says she is doubtful Brindabella Christian College, BCC, will change, despite the Human Rights Commission finding it was wrong for them to punish her sons. These are the key points. The ACT Human Rights Commission found Brindabella Christian College was wrong to exclude two boys after it had a falling out with their mother. The boys were told they were not welcome at the school after their mother made complaints about how the school was being run. The mother, Jody welcomed the findings, but says she is doubtful the school will cooperate with her in the future. Jody complained about the college's operations after her daughter, who was school captain, made reference to staff turmoil and its impact on students in the speech, was criticised by the school's board. Miss Jayata Larkas' two youngest boys, Timothy and James, were due to return to BCC in 2020 to begin Year 12 and Year 9 respectively. When the school sent a letter to say they were no longer welcome, Timothy was a sports captain and James had been named 2019 Young Canberra Citizen of the Year. But the school said they would be unenrolled because believed their parents no longer had faith in its system. Well, that's an interesting uh, concept, unenrolled. Not expelled, unenrolled. Interesting, isn't it? Words. Due to recent events of concern, the school requests that you find alternate education for the children. Please now understand that your children are not going to be re-enrolled at the school, lawyers for Brindabella Christian College wrote. You have encouraged others to also find issues with the way in which the school and the education is administered in a way that has created an unhealthy environment of anger and disunity. Ms. Jaya Tilakas said the boys' exclusion was retribution for her complaints against the school, a claim the Human Rights Commission yesterday upheld. The decision to exclude the two brothers from the school without any opportunity to be consulted, to provide their views and to participate in the decision, is not consistent with general principles of procedural fairness, Discrimination Commissioner Karen Tuhi said in her report. Ms Tuhi recommended the independent school review its procedures and develop enrolment standards consistent with government schools. Ms Jaya Tilaka said while she was relieved to be supported by the Human Rights Commission, she had little faith the school would change. At the end of the day, the Human Rights Commission simply asking the school to change their policy is not enough, she said. Ms Jaya Tilaka said the consequences of the effective expulsion were that her boys had lost their friends, relationships with their teachers, and their learning had been interrupted. It's been really difficult for them to both have to step into new schools, Ms. Jaya Talika said. It's been isolating and distressing, and they haven't been able to understand why the school did this. She noted it had been particularly disruptive for Timothy, who was in his final year of school. It was very difficult for him, as you can imagine, starting out with new friends, new teachers, a new cohort in the middle of his year 11-12 study, she said. Human Rights Commission says it will enforce recommendations. Speaking to ABC Radio Canberra, Ms. Tuhi said BCC had snubbed opportunities to be involved in the investigation. She said she hoped with the release of its report, the school would now speak to the agency. But she warned the Human Rights Commission had powers to enforce its recommendations if the school continued not to cooperate. We'll certainly be following those up with the college and the education directorate, she said. We would hope that now the report has been made public, we will be able to engage with the school and we won't need to undertake any of those enforcement measures. The school has been given six months to change its policies. Brindabella Christian College did not respond to a request for comment. Well, and this is a school that is funded by our taxpayers' money and they didn't even turn up to a hearing about an expulsion of two boys whose future has been put on the line. Very interesting. Okay.
we're paying for the school's right to discriminate against these children because of their mother's descent. That's it's mind-boggling. Of course, their mother happens to be a troublemaker, and perhaps we should be told a little bit more about what she was troublemaking about because um, those boys, in the long term, might be better off not there. Okay, well, I think that's it for today. Um, we hope that uh, you've stuck with us uh, with all our information about what's happening to tape. It may not always be good news. Sometimes it is good news. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll have some good news for you next week too. There has been uh, some interesting news coming out of America. We thought today we would concentrate on the tape sector. So that's it for today, and we'll be saying bye for now. If you want to find out more about us, then uh, Dale's telling me to tell you about our website at www.adogs.info. We'll see you. Or we'll, we won't see you, but we will be aware of your presence over the sound waves next Saturday at 12 noon. Bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there you find your hill I dreamed I saw Joe here last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.